morning, Chris. Good morning, Mr. Brent. Hey, look at this. We have a fantastic guest here today. Thomas, how's it going? Thomas? Hey, Brent. Hey, Chris. Good to be with you. Pleasure to have you here. All right. That's enough. Glad you all have your cup of coffee. It's all good. Thank you for joining us, R2D2. He's a festive Christmas. Yeah, classic nerd bunch around here. There are a couple of Xmas related uh, Star Wars decorations that I've been stealing lately. So. Nice. Hey, we got a great show planned for today, and uh, we're definitely going to go long because we're starting a little bit late, but that's okay because we normally go long anyways. So hope everybody's having a great morning. Chris, I know you're having a great morning. You got coffee and you're ready to roll. I am. I am fully caffeinated, it seems, and that's a good thing. Fully caffeinated. Thomas, how are you doing this morning? You got a good cup of coffee? Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm warm, which is saying something because I'm in western New York, Rochester, New York, where it's already snowy and cold. Ah, brutal. Well, you know, uh, Chris can relate. He's in Canada, so. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I can't relate. I'm in Arizona. It should be about 70 degrees today. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be visiting you twice early early in the new year for two different conferences, so that'll be fun. Yes, it's going to be good times. (laughs) Oh, tons of fun. Hey, everybody, you know, we're going to talk about collaborative stuff today. Thomas, you've got some great research you're going to talk to us about today, right? Why don't you set the stage for us a little bit? Maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are first. Yeah, sure. So my name's Tom Stone. I've been in the learning and development and broader human resources field now for about 20 years. Worked for a long time on the vendor side at Element K, Taleo, Dale Carnegie Training. Um, I co-wrote a book with Cassie Labore that was published by ATD in 2015 called Interact and Engage on virtual classroom training, how to make it engaging and and interactive. I work at I4CP now, which is the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Um, we're a small research firm where that we, we focus on what makes high-performing organizations, particularly larger, medium and larger organizations, uh, what makes them high-performing in terms of their, their revenue, their profits, um, customer satisfaction, and things like that. So we're a research firm. Um, we do primary and secondary research um, for our members. Awesome. Very cool. It's me. It's my turn. <laughs> I was just joking. I was just going to say. I think people have um, uh, people often use the term hypo as for the high performing organizations. So if you ever hear hypo, that's what they're talking about. High performing organizations. I know uh, a lot of the research firms use that term, and everybody's trying to figure out what makes a high performing organization. And um, so, and that's one of the things that this particular research that we're going to talk about today has to do with, right, Tom? Yeah, so we, 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 we focus on uh, four different things, market share, profit, revenue, and customer satisfaction, just as broad categories for what we consider to be a high-performing organization. All of our research then uh, tries to correlate the data from the surveys. We look at the, the top quartile um, of organizations that did the survey and the bottom quartile, we sort of 
quartile when we're doing this correlation analysis. Um, and that allows us to see which of the practices that we ask about in the surveys uh, are, are performed far more often by high performing organizations versus lower. And we really like to look for what we call next practices, which, you know, everyone best practices yeah. at this point have kind of become table stakes in a lot of areas. But next practices are those that not only correlate to performance um, in that way I just described, high performers versus low, um, but they're not really widely practiced by very many organizations. So they're sort of what's coming around the bend for, for companies that are innovative awesome. and looking to explore what's new. We like the future. It's kind of like you're a futurist with data. Yeah, we actually have someone in our company, Jay Jamrog, who has the official title of chief futurist for our organization. He was one of the co-founders of I4CP um, back in the early 2000s with Kevin Oakes, the former CEO of, of SumTotal and, and elsewhere. So, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely futurists here. I'm a senior research analyst on the research team, and it's a lot of fun covering uh, and all And today topics you brought us some information yeah. in particular about, um, about collaboration, which is uh, a, a buzzword of sorts, uh, it seems like a, a sensible thing at, at the same time. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've uh, attempted yep. to share my screen. Can you guys just confirm? All right. Very good. So, yeah, on collaboration, um, we've long had a good relationship with Rob Cross, who's sort of the, the guru in this area, if you will. He's an expert network analysis which sort of looks at companies and tries to see okay there's the there's the uh, org chart structure in the company but then there's how work really gets done there's how people network and how they talk to each other how they collaborate how they form teams um, and those two things usually aren't exactly aligned of course um, and he wrote a famous article in Harvard Business Review a few years ago called collaborative overload and that really got into this concept that collaboration is usually a good thing you want more of it you want people talking to each other working with each other using experts in the organization um, but it can lead to this dark side of collaboration collaborative overload where certain people become bottlenecks in the organization or they get burned out and move on you lose some good talent um, so we wanted to do a research project on that at i4cp so we partnered with rob um, he's at babson college now uh, and he helped us uh, you know formulate the survey do the research do the re do the interviews and reach out to organizations and what that produced was four reports that you see here on the screen that really covered sort of what's involved in a collaborative culture in an organization, um, what's involved with being a good collaborative leader, of course a lot stems from the leaders in your company, um, what are the talent, all the normal areas of talent management, learning and development being one, but also performance management, talent acquisition and others. And then the last report was really how to address and avoid this notion of collaborative um, overload when it arises. So, so uh, I guess tell us, uh, fill us in a little bit more on that stuff then. Yeah, yeah, so, so um, in the research, um, there's a lot on this screen. I won't read all the bullets to you, but you can see um, we really did come up with various practices, some sort of best practices that a lot of organizations do, um, others uh, more more uh, rare, so-called next practices, like we like to say. Um, some of it's fairly basic stuff that you think every organization would do, but these still correlated with, with market performance. Like if you look at the bottom left, um, really getting clear on what collaboration means by clearly defining it in your organization 
collaboration. Um, yeah, I think it was you, Chris, that said, you know, collaboration is sort of a buzzword, something we're, we hear a lot about in the, in the modern economy. Um, but it's amazing how many organizations don't really take the time to sit down and define what exactly they mean uh, by collaboration. And, and that's important if you want to have only good collaboration and not suffer from, from too much of it or, or collaborative overload. Um, you can see here, everyone, uh, some of the other you know, leadership practices. So leaders modeling good collaborative behavior, how to use the technology well, um, ways not to use certain technology, whether it's Teams or Slack or WebEx or a platform like the one we're in today. Um, getting leaders to help others build strong networks. So not only the leader building out his or her network, um, but helping those that report to them um, build out stronger networks so that they know who to call on and when and who not to call on. Um, that was something that I think, I think the numbers there were pretty extreme. I think uh, high-performing organizations had their leaders building out strong networks eight times as often as low performing I can remember some. Uh, uh, so I, I remember some there. data that I heard a while back. See some of the um, other ones came here. out of Microsoft, and it um, it was about individuals. And you know, speaking of networks, like the, your idea of a network and collaboration, it, it kind of goes together. But I remember them saying that the most successful people, one of the thing that stood out, they came they came up with all the things that were like how to be successful in in a corporate job or something like that or in your career, and they had a list of like the top ten things you should do. And the thing that came out when all with all of their research with, amongst their internal employees was like by far the number one thing was the most successful Microsoft employees had and managed very very strong networks, which meant they were collaborate collaborating i think we can assume that that they that they worked right. really well at at fostering right. their networks collaborating Absolutely. with people talking with others and and really growing that yeah and i think that was true i remember seeing that research from microsoft and certainly our research you know further buttressed and supported that um i remember seeing right. that and i think it was true at all levels it was true all the way up through, you know, the senior leaders. And so, yeah, here on the left, building strong networks, that's an important attribute that leaders need, need to do in the organization. Um, but we found if you go on the far right, talent practices, start early with onboarding. One of the key things there was that when you first onboard new employees, um, you know, don't just give them the compliance things and sign the forms and, and, you know, introduce them around to their environment, but really help them build a strong network right away. And that is not only the, the cohort of others that are maybe onboarding with them at that same time, might be in different positions, but also who are the subject matter experts, the SMEs that they're going to be interacting with on a regular basis, maybe introduce them to a a few skip level leaders up in the organization um, so that they so that they immediately start building out that network because yeah the Microsoft research uh, showed that and certainly our research with Rob Cross uh, Eric's making a mention well. in the chat in the chat Eric saying uh, that his organization right um, now sees collaboration as equivalent to or, or goal at, of, a, of breaking down silos um, and and then also adds he thinks that they're early in their still early in their collaborative culture. Um, he's throwing in it's uh, less than two hundred people in there uh, across about five locations in their organization. Yeah, once you get uh, more than say fifty people, silos start to develop, and so even though that's still a relatively small organization compared to the many that we tend to do research on, um, silos uh, have no doubt have already developed, and then so breaking through them, um, you know, there's always going to be some siloization in, in organizations just by the nature of of teams and org structures, um, but doing things like promoting networks. Um, and doing all the things that this research shows to promote uh, team collaboration, departmental collaboration, um, 
doing things like a, an organizational network analysis or at least an audit of some kind to really see where those linkages are between people can can go a long way to uh, to, to breaking down those silos and getting the, the, the right level of collaboration that you want. Um, as our research shows and as Rob's long-time research shows, you, you want to be careful that not to overload certain individuals with too many collaborative requests, uh, too much pressure on their time because uh, they'll suffer and what, from that and, overload. And how, how, um, how much does the technology play? Is it the technology that sort of drives that overload? It's like we've got so many great tools now that um, it's it's so easy to just invite somebody to a group or to a team or whatever, and everybody is just trying to figure out how to manage it. It's it's kind of the 21st century version of email. Yeah, that that can definitely be part of it. Um, I'm I'm looking around for a slide that helps bring up. Yeah, here here's some of the factors that there. A lot of them are just sort of psychological. So yeah, the technology does make it easy to sort of slip into uh, being overloaded with too many collaborative requests. But a lot of it is just psychology. So you think about being afraid to delegate some of your work due to fear of losing control of a project, um, or just the belief in yourself that you're the only one capable of of delivering best on that. Uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, the sense of enthusiasm that you get from accomplishing certain things, um, you know, keeps you from handing off work to others. Um, you know, creating too much reliance in your network, in in your organization. I, I at some points, I had that in my career with with my first corporate job when I was young in my twenties. Um, I wanted to, you know, build my career um, and you know uh, and rise up in the organization. But then I found myself getting involved in too many things, and and the organization, you know, became reliant on me, which in some ways was a good thing. It's good to have job security in that sense, um, and and become an influencer in the organization. But it really can lead to burnout. And then lastly, just having a giving mindset, which normally, you know, helping others, that's seen as a positive trait. And up to a certain point, it certainly is. Um, but when you become a magnet and everyone knows that you'll help, um, then, you know, you, you'll end up working on the wrong priorities and you'll really get overloaded pretty quickly. Chris, do you uh, that? I was just going to throw in that Joe has mentioned, uh, so, mentioned uh, in a very uh, pragmatic fashion, uh, an example of the value of, of the network. Uh, I quote, I got made redundant from a job where I didn't have an external network. I learned that lesson fast and changed it. So <laughs> the pragmatics of being collaborative as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Building your internal network is, is important, but in this world with uh, certainly the rise of the gig economy and, and per people with all sorts of different uh, work relationships, um, you know, building out your external network. I mean, it's great that we have tools like LinkedIn that, that make, make it easy to do that, but sometimes you don't want to rest on your laurels. You, you want to actually make use of that, um, particularly if you might be looking to move on from a job, you know, sort of quietly, um, or uh, maybe even change career direction. You know, start on that early. Um, um, and times in my life when I've been thinking about moving on, um, you know, I would I would spend one to two hours every weekend, um, whether I had the time or not. I've, I've found the time. Yeah, it's easy, I think, to feel like um, to feel like the the doing those activities and doing the networking stuff and, and doing engaging with all the software that you start to feel like that's the work and it's not. And so I think that's part of the overload thing, too. I just wanted to uh share with everybody is that you know it's you get a sense of accomplishment yeah. when you've done it but more often than not that's not your work that's not the work that needs to get done so it can get in the way and it, it can become all yeah. sort of 
you know, encompassing and yeah. sort of take over your, your day and your job. So you really do have to, you know, yeah. work on time management skills and, and turning it off and all of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's why I said I, I, I learned to set aside time on the weekends. I would spend one to two hours, even if I felt like I'm, I'm you know, I'm getting desperate. I really want to leave where I'm at now. I want a different job. Um, I really should be spending all my time doing this. No, I, I slow and steady sort of won the race for me. Um, you know, it took time. Now, obviously, if you've, if you've lost your job and are looking, then, then there's a certain sense of urgency. But then again, you have more time on your hands to, to do that. But if you're fully employed and, and just looking at other options or, or wanting to build out your network, uh, definitely definitely limit yourself yeah. how much time you put into it because the return won't be immediate. The return will come down the road um, for sure. Um, what I'm showing here is a, is a quick little infographic. A lot of our research at I4CP is for member organizations only. That's our business model, if you will. Organizations pay to become members of I4CP, and then they get access to all of our research as well as all the peer connections and, and interactions and conferences and stuff that we provide. Um, but in some cases, some of the reports are made public, and so you could go to I4CP.com and do a search on collaboration to see uh, what's, what's available. I'm pretty sure this infographic is one of the things that's that's freely available. And this just shows some of the, the key things that our research found that high-performing organizations do on this Can you, on this can you topic go in a little bit more deeply on, on a couple of these for us? And just uh, like when I, when I read number one there, for example, and says designate formal roles, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting one. I'm glad you picked that one. Um, a lot of the organizations we these are large, they tend to be larger enterprise uh, organizations in different market areas. Um, they've gotten to the point where they actually have what I might call a traffic cop. So if you've got a lot of uh, requests for information or requests for teamwork and collaboration across different projects um, that are coming at certain subject matter experts hot and heavy, they'll have uh, certain people sort of manage that for them. They're not necessarily managing their calendar the way an executive assistant would, not literally at the meeting level. But they're looking at more at the project level, who's assigned to different things, uh, what, how many, you know, how much can one person take on? Um, where where will they best be utilized? Some some of the requests I'm sure get denied that no, this person's already being leveraged for these three projects simultaneously. They can't take on yours until January or whatever the case might be. So that sort of traffic cop, if you will, it could be a formal role. It could be that person's entire job. It's in their job description to do that, or it could be just something informal that that, that they do as part of their as part of their job. But our research, as it shows here, showed that uh, high performing organizations do that four times as often. And as lower performing, and yet it's not done very often. It's well, in some ways, idea, the idea so of having that as a roles, next practice, uh, you know, and uh, almost feels like it's anti-collaborative in that sense of, um, well, shouldn't we all be, you know, working and sharing? But, um, but your, des your description there of, of the traffic cop or the, you know, the, the gatekeeper, um, yeah, we can only spread ourselves so thin anyway, and at a certain point, we become unproductive just try by trying to be, you know, collaborating on too many things. Exactly. Exactly. The metaphor of traffic yeah. cop, or, or if it's not an actual person, some sort of system that does it, uh, you know, a traffic light, you, you know, you could easily say with people driving, if you were from a different planet and not familiar with human human beings and human nature, well, why do you need traffic cops or why do you need traffic lights and signs? Why not everyone just come to an intersection and just sort of be nice and know what to do and work together to, to get through the intersection? But, but that's not the way it works, right? So uh, same thing here. You know, yeah, we all want to help each other. 
But because of this issue that, you know, time is our most valuable resource um, because of this issue of, of potential overload and, and the real the real problems that that can cause. I mean, if you think of, we all know how expensive it is to replace employees, uh, any employee really, uh, in terms of retention and turnover, let alone your best employees, your A players, your your your, your all stars, your subject matter experts. Um, you don't want to lose no. those people just because. Um, they, and so, they tell they us a little bit number two, because as I glance at it, having just talked about number one, it um, it almost sounds like allowing people to be their own traffic cop then. Yeah, well, that's the other option, and and high performing organizations do more do this almost as often, you know, more three point five times more than low performing. Um, so not necessarily having a formal or informal role that does it, but giving in some cases at least your employees the ability to shift work either to others in their network, um, you know. That uh, where it's appropriate to to you know making sure that they know who the subject matter experts are in some environments too you've got a team of peers that are all basically equivalent so they all have the same background they have the same job title um, allowing them to shift work amongst each other in sort of a um, maybe a job jar type scenario I've been in environments like that a team of graphic designers who all have more or less the same skills there's requests for work coming in all the time um, let them let them pick up on the tasks uh, as needed without it needing to go through the to the sense of autonomy too that you do have a sense of control then and you're not just uh, you know I don't know trying to struggle with that fire hose Yeah, absolutely. For individual contributors who aren't, the, the, uh, you know, in a, in a position of leadership or management, giving them some level of autonomy is, is a good thing. They don't necessarily have it in their job otherwise. Um, and so that, yeah, that's number two here, letting employees shift work. Again, where it makes sense, there'd be plenty of places where, you know, the whole point of management and leadership is to is to set the direction and, and tell those on the team, you know, what the priorities are. So it wouldn't make sense in all cases, but, uh, but high-performing organizations are finding that selectively it makes a lot of sense. Number three is an interesting one too, you know, uh, uh, encouraging people to report problems either with themselves and being overloaded, just having a safe and trusting environment where you won't be penalized for saying, look, I'm getting too many requests coming my way. Take some of this burden off of me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting overloaded here. You'd much rather have a, a safe, trusting environment like that where people can raise those concerns um, or even point out, I, I see so-and-so getting burned out. We might want to, we might want to, you know, talk to them, address that issue before they burn out. And we don't want to lose them as a team member. Um, so having that safe, trusting environment where that can, where that, where, where that sort of thing is expected and allowed and encouraged. Again, high performance. Yeah, and I love number four. We talk about providing coaching or the need for coaching a lot in a lot of different conversations that I've had over the past few months with folks and, um, and, and, trying to figure out how coaching fits in with what we do in L&D as instructional designers and and you know, can you design coaching i mean and and there's i know there's a lot of apps out there that are kind of uh helping to facilitate um coaching programs and things like that um i, I haven't really seen any that work really well yeah. yet but i i know they're there yeah i mean how how, how 
Yeah, however you do it, whether it's technology enabled or just through traditional t coaching techniques, a lot of that would really come back to these bullets here, coaching people to, to you know, not fear missing out on every single project that might come their way or, um, you know, making sure that you're not creating too much of a reliance on yourself so that you're a bottleneck. I mean, I've had plenty of my own managers where I've had to sort of manage up and, and let them know that they're that becoming the bottleneck in, in the workflow uh, and they really need to take on other things or they need to feel comfortable delegating to me well if you do it right it, it, it's a, it can be a positive thing you gotta you gotta know your manager you gotta know uh, your teammates yeah. and your peers of course and you got to do it carefully but it can make all the difference um, you know you, you never know what's in someone else's head we're not we're not we're not mind readers and it may be that they're wanting someone to reach out in that way I've, yeah. I've found that to be the case more often than not um, and also just you know it, uh, this last bullet again having a giving mindset that's great up to a certain point and then it becomes a detriment so just coaching people to understand that we we want their their effort we want their extra discretionary effort for sure um, but not if it becomes a, a burden with collaborative overload and then the last one was just actually measuring yeah. collaboration now the, the the obvious question is well how do you measure it um, that's where um, that's where doing an organizational network analysis or a more in-depth audit um, you can do surveys and things and and th that gets very detailed of course but just the very idea of trying to measure collaboration is something that high-performing organizations have taken on more than low-performing two times as often um, and that makes sense you know yeah. you, you can't you can't manage what you don't measure the old adage in business so um, here too if you're if you're facing collaborative challenges or you want more collaboration you're at the other end of the pendulum um, actually looking and, and trying to measure that and see who's collaborating with who and how often and to what to what positive effect or negative effect, um, you know, actually sit down and take on that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about um, onboarding and that that relates really closely, I think, to a, what a lot of folks in our chat are uh, might be doing in their job. But are there, are there other elements that for you, I mean, being, you know, being in the L&D industry and looking at data like this, what are some of the things that we can be doing better to be a part of building a high-performing organization, something something from the instructional design level. Yes. Well, some of the things just from a basic training perspective, um, time management courses, I think, have a pretty good return on investment if they're if they're taught well and they and they t teach really good practices that are in alignment with the culture. Um, so I, I bring up here a couple of the checklists. The, the print's a little bit smaller on this one, but I hope you can see it. Um, just some basic things about uh, how you do email in your organization and also how you manage meetings in the organization. I don't think any of the check checklist items on either of these are are, uh, are you know would be completely new to everyone but having all 12 of these or maybe there's 13 checks all together you know building these into a, a, a time management program in your organization can make a real real difference uh, we found several mm -hmm. of these to be to be very highly correlated to market performance um, and some of them are pretty basic like on the meeting side you know everyone tries to send out an agenda ahead of time that's a best practice um, keep meetings on task and on time, um, sending out the notes afterward. I mean, again, none of these are, are, are rocket science, um, but doing all of them, I mean, how many people yeah. can say they consistently do all eight on the right? Uh, probably not too many. How many people do all five on the left? I've for declared email, email bankruptcy um, once, so. uh, but it, was on, it wasn't on a company at the time. It was, it was Gmail. It was, uh, yeah, I, I, I decided to just do a select all and delete one year. I, this yeah. was probably in like 2000 and 
six or seven completely emptied the whole entire thing and it was yeah. quite liberating wow uh, i've done that I've, yeah i've done that a couple times with things i subscribe to where i just all of a sudden move them all from inbox into a that. folder that says read later and you know yeah. what i find yeah. i almost never read any of it later um yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not brave enough to click delete, but I do put them in a folder, and I, you know, maybe one percent of them I missing out. Read, but it's yeah. so there might be, might be, a, might be a nugget. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of those. Very cool. One of those bullets from um, earlier. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm having a, I'm having a slow day. Yeah. What. What what else is coming through in the, in the this, chat? Well, here? first of all, let's. I mean, maybe now's a good have? time to. Um, while we're thinking about this, uh, where can people find this report? Did you say this one is freely available? Uh, I think this infographic certainly oh. is. I'm not sure which, if any of the uh, of the four reports are, but if you go to i4cp.com, you see our little logo there in the top right. So it's the letter I, the number four, cp.com, and then do a search on collaboration. Um, that should bring back any any free resources uh, that that would be available, awesome. and anything else. Um, awesome. Good you know, to know. Good to know. And I think I think from a you know from from understanding more about this. So this is a great graphic and gives people a sense of what they can do. And I think you touched on this when you were talking about um, high performing organizations, but um, maybe just let's, let's recap this a little bit and, and define what we mean by when you did the research on the high performing organizations, are we talking about organizations over a specific size or does this still apply to smaller, like maybe, uh, a, a company that has less than 20 people or is it less than a hundred or around over 5,000 or like where, where does that? Yeah, sure. So, so the vast majority of the people that do our surveys are medium to large enterprise organizations. And most of the data that we really focus on for our reports, we actually filter it on companies with a thousand or more employees. Um, we do get some people that do our surveys from smaller organizations. And we always do a quick check of that when we're analyzing the data, just to see if there's any big differences. And frankly, on almost all of our studies, there usually isn't a big difference, but we like to be able to tout in the small print, you know, that we had an N of 2000 that did the survey and, 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 you know, 80% of them were from larger organizations. So um, that's really our focus as an organization. But we find in general that the, that the most cool. of the research okay, good applies to know. Uh, across yeah, the board. Yeah, because I was thinking about that from a, from a small organization perspective. It's you do tend to wear a lot of hats. And so you kind of have to just sort of live with the overload, you know, uh, just. Right. Yeah, you, you wear a lot of hats and you need to have an entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's an actual startup or just a small organization that, that's maybe been family run or, or otherwise for a long period of time. So, yeah, there can be different culture uh, situations there, to be sure. Um, but but the risk of collaborative overload, certainly, if, if perhaps even more so in, in that kind of environment can arise. And so a lot of the same uh, practices that, that you'd want to follow to identify that and then address it when it comes up and, and ultimately well, yeah, culture is another can. one. So um, do you ever sort out by different countries? Cause different cultures from different countries might deal with collaboration a little bit differently in, in countries that are a little bit more formalized in their business, um, you know, ecosystems. How does, what does that look like? Yeah. 
Yeah, the majority of our respondents to our surveys are in North America, but we always get you know ten, twenty percent that are that are uh, from elsewhere in the world, and we're actually growing around around the world and and expanding our partnerships and so on to get more uh, responses. Um, you mentioned culture. The ability to filter not just by company size, but by market vertical, by by location of the survey respondent, and so on. And we always do that to see if there are any differences in the data. You mentioned culture. I'll just mention that uh, our big research last year, our biggest project um, was on uh, agility uh, and organizations that are looking to be agile and even disruptive in their in their marketplaces. This year, our big study, uh, and we got a really great response rate this fall, and we're analyzing the data now, uh, is on uh, leadership traits uh, that transform cultures. Um, and so what organizations had a cultural transformation, so not one that had a great culture from the get-go, but one that maybe ran into some challenges um, and decided they wanted to transform their culture. What were the practices? What were the results? Um, what made it successful when it was successful? Um, and uh, it's very interesting data we're getting back. I've just seen the first first snippets and key findings of it. Hmm. That's our biggest well, that report sounds kind project of like something for that, uh, Maybe Eric's organization could be uh, helped by, uh, you know, just starting out as they start to, out on the process of improving uh, their collaboration overall. So I'm just saying, Eric, keep an eye out for that one next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, that's a great one. I'm looking forward to that one too. I mean, lots of conversations around leadership these days too, and what does that mean? And 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 yes, culture, and networking, and these networking tools, and and you know, being able to collaborate is it's all part of this big puzzle of the workforce and the future workforce, and what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these things all tie together. I mean, our collaboration research, um, increasingly, too, we do, we're doing more and more research on diversity and inclusion. That's a, a big part and an increasingly vocal part of of, uh, of, collab of uh, culture and culture transformations in a lot of organizations, um, as it should be. Um, and uh, so, yeah, collaboration, agility, cultural transformation. All We find um, each of these topics, when we do a big enough project, it sort of leads into the next project. What are the natural questions to ask next uh, year? over year so we have we have core areas that we do you know learning and development performance management people analytics or human capital analytics that we do surveys on from from year to year um, but the big projects that we really sort of hang our hat on each year are these yeah. ones well, obviously none of agility these are, are and, silos and of their own they're all they you know there are connections between these things and as you explore one piece and start to get uh, a sense of that then obviously hey new things pop up and and you know ways to, to stem off from that too for sure they're all it's um that's the funny thing about human world uh, nothing's nothing is singular in its uh, in its makeup yeah that yeah everything's connected and uh, change is constant so uh, there's there's always new things for us to research and we're also starting to focus as an organization more on what we call pulse surveys that are really tied into the latest current events and news. So we still do some some pretty big studies each year, but we're trying to do more things tied into what's going on, you know, week to week, month to month. Um, and for those, we get, of course, much smaller response rate, and it's just some simple data. And they're shorter surveys; they might be three or four questions. So any of you out there, if you get a if you get a survey request from I4CP, um, please take a moment and, and do it real quick. We, we appreciate yeah, for sure. the input. I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunities of for us to have conversations around what L and D can do to uh, 
to, to take advantage of this type of research and this type of information and to help our organizations and really put ourselves in a proactive position as instructional designers, as training managers, CLOs, whatever role we're in to, to help impact and help make some of those changes. So thanks for being here and sharing this with us today. This was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure, Brent. Nice to meet you, Chris. Uh, look forward to seeing you, Brent, in in your in your warm area of, of <laughs> yeah, Arizona sure. here in, a, fun. in a, just a matter of weeks at this point. As it was thrown the link to the infographic into the chat, so those of you who are with us right now or watching the the Crowdcast version, the link is in here. Um, so a quick way to get there saves us all a little bit of googling. Thanks for that, Azu. Very much appreciated. Yeah. All right. Indeed. Cool. Well, great chat. Uh, you know, we think about collaboration as Something that uh, probably everybody, I think, comes at it from the angle of needing to improve. Um, but I really hadn't maybe spent too much time thinking about the fact that, in a sense, um, it's also something that, uh, and a limit may not be the exact word that I'm looking for, but that idea of um, uh, of making sure that it's not too much, that uh, that it doesn't actually end up being uh, a detriment overall. It's a, it's a, fascinating, uh, a fascinating perspective on that. So thanks so much for bringing that to us, Thomas. Very cool. All right, yeah, Brent, thanks let's for having dance me, guys. out of here. Good, Indeed, good let's do that. And just uh, before we start uh, dancing too much out of here, let me just uh, also say that we've got Ray Jimenez coming on and joining us next week. So, oh, yeah. And then that'll be our last um, that'll be our last idiotic episode uh, before the holidays, but we will be back in January. Mm -hmm. Have fun, gang. Thanks again, Tom. Coffee time. Thank you. <laughs>